Hello and welcome to the What Do You Believe podcast, where we bring a relevant Pentecostal voice that focuses on evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and theology. Oh, there I am. Well, it's good to join you today. My name is Jared Walker. I have Joe Rostek here. We are both uh, elders at Metro Praise International Church in Chicago. I am faculty, and Pastor Joe is also has taught at School of Urban Missions, Bible College, and Theological Seminary. Uh, so we have a lot we want to talk to you guys about today, a lot about discipleship. That's one of the things that makes us us. That's our that's our beating heart. Also, some new things going on in the church that we're excited about. And out of those new things in the church, God has a revy for you and for us about new things, when he does new things, and how to respond to those new things, particularly in ministry. Uh, then we're going to move on to some breaking news. This just is making the rounds today, actually, about Eugene Peterson, the translator of the Message Bible, and his basic flip-flop on same-sex relationships. Finally, Pastor Joe has a word from the Word on disciples that make disciples. I'm coming with another gem that's a surprise, so stick around for that. You're going to love it. And uh, we want your Q, your questions. Uh, please post them here on, on um, Facebook Live, anywhere on the What Do You Believe page during the hour. And we want to get to those. We're really excited for Q&A, so definitely want to see that. Uh, for right now, we have About Us, and Pastor Joe wants to tell you about discipleship. All right. Well, it's good to have you guys joining with us today. I want to give you guys an update. The show is doing well. We are getting uh, different responses on the different avenues that we're on. The podcast is doing well getting towards 100 viewers, uh, downloads, and also the app is doing well. And then here at the Facebook page, so you can find us at Metro Praise International at the app book, at the app store or on iTunes with the podcast, or you can uh, look us up online at whatdoyoubelievetv.com and get the links there. So what I'd like to do today is uh, start off with talking about us. We're still in this uh, section here. And by the way, the sections may change as the podcast goes on. We do have guests uh, scheduled to come in the future. We'll we'll get deeper into certain subjects. But here in this uh, new start of the podcast, the first couple of months, we wanted to cover a lot of our foundational bases and then be able to send people back uh, this way if they need to get that information. So we are a relevant Pentecostal voice focusing on evangelism and discipleship, apologetics and theology. The name What Do You Believe has already been discussed about our presuppositional view of apologetics, asking the question as Jesus did with uh, Peter and his disciples. Uh, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And then he asked Peter, who do you say? Uh, who do others say that I am? And then he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And so that's kind of the reason why we have the name What Do You Believe? We're Pentecostal, believing in the Acts chapter one and two experience uh, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues as um, the evidence that you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And then last week we talked about evangelism. So now we're getting into these four things that we're focusing on, evangelism, soul winning, and then now today is discipleship. And next week we'll do apologetics and theology. What I would like to do during this uh, portion right here is actually read from a book that I have written. I've written about 10 books. Uh, only not to boast, but all glory to God. But I want to read from the introduction of discipleship-based churches. This is on Kindle. You can look up my name, Joe Rostick, discipleship-based churches there. Or you can go to our website, mpichurch.org, and go to books and get it for free on PDF, or you can pick it up uh, uh, in paperback here at the church, or we'll send it to you if you order online at our website. Just the bottom line is I want to get this out to as many people as possible. So, the, the podcast here is going to be focused on discipleship like our church is focused on discipleship. Let me read this to you. And by the way, Jared helped me uh, write this introduction here. The alarm has been sound and ignored. The world is changing. The tide is turning. 
The writing is on the wall, and it is clear that the people of our nation are in active rebellion towards God. They want to throw off his fetters. That's Psalm 2, by the way. The past couple generations of Americans have bore witness to frontal assaults on the church and the Bible in order to silence the truths they present. Conversely and consequently, more on social chaos has ensued. Do you see this in your church? Do you see this in the world you're living in? This is what we see every day on the news, right? One of our stories we're going to bring out today about a great Bible translator turning towards sin and affirming homosexuality. Here are but a few of the major progressions that served as signs of our times. In 1962, an unprecedented motion, the Supreme Court voted to remove prayer from schools to be gradually replaced with birth control and metal detectors. This would not be the last attempt to erase the knowledge of God from the public square. Numerous court battles have been fought to effectively remove prayers, Bible references, displays of the Ten Commandments, and even nativity scenes from schools, courthouses, national parks, and the like. And have you not seen this when it comes to graduation ceremonies? Now they won't even let us say a prayer, or they have to check the speech ahead of time and remove all the references to God in the Bible. In another grievous development, this generation has witnessed the legalization of abortion on demand, resulting in a verifiable genocide. Over 50 million of our unborn children slaughtered since 1973. What's more is that this is touted as a woman's right and is championed by many celebrities, journalists, politicians, and yes, even some pastors. If you remember the DNC during the time of the presidential election, pastors who supported this were there. And even some of them saying that Planned Parenthood and abortion was a blessing from God. God have mercy. Remember, this is about the, the point of discipleship. Why is it important? Let's keep going. And even more recently, immorality has progressed further as several states have legalized recreational use of marijuana, along with same-sex marriage, primetime pornography, and even prostitution. But we are just scratching the surface of the deep moral wounds that occur when a people exchange their God for idols. Now think about that. We have exchanged God for idols. It may not be Buddha, Krishna, or, or Allah, but it's uh, entertainment, popularity, sports stars, etc. All the while, the mass media has distorted Christianity's fundamental values to appear as hate speech, intolerance, and in their stead have presented the wisdom of this age, a sex-driven, self-centered pop psychology cocktail that is void of transcendent truth. That's what people want in the church. Second Timothy chapter 4 says, in the last days, people will not put up with sound doctrine. They'll want just what their itching ears want. Is this not the time for discipleship? This wisdom that is humanistic at its core taught us that life's answers are found within ourselves and that ultimate fulfillment is found in personal enjoyment. This empty philosophy has created more depression, suicide, violence, broken families than this country has ever known. With this demonic onslaught that has been taking place in the U.S., one question remains, where has the American church been? This is why we need discipleship. What has failed the black community? The church. What has failed the white community? The church. What has failed the young people? The church. The church has identified with the same thing of the culture, bringing in this same self-help wisdom of the age. Has our salt lost its savor? Have we placed our lamp under a bushel? If so, where is our prophetic voice? This depression, declension into the darkness among Americans is a strong indicator that we as Christians have fallen terribly short in our obligations. Even more troubling, some among us have fall, sadly fallen into the same traps of worldly people. And then I have all of these uh, news headlines that are just in the last five years about pastors, pastors and national a pastor and national evangelical leader caught doing drugs and paying for sex with a homosexual prostitute. Uh, that was a few years ago. Ted Haggard. Ted Haggard. There you go. Pastor found dead in a hotel from suspected drug overdose. Pastor's wife files for divorce after sex scandal involving three young men. Bible college president forced to resign after allegations of stealing money, so forth and so on. So how can the people of America know the truth and live it out from the ones if the ones responsible for preaching and setting the example are themselves overrun with sin? They can't. One of our uh, founding fathers, John Adams, said our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. In view of all of this, listen to the importance of discipleship. The answer must come from disciples. That is trained followers of Jesus, active both in the church and in the community. 
Skipping ahead here to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus commanded them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Here in my Kindle edition, it shows that 36 people highlighted this portion of the book and 29 the next sentence. These two sentences with a combined over 60 highlights. Tell me if it hits the nail on the head for you, dear Christian, as you see all the problems that are happening today. Every Christ follower from the pew to the pulpit needs to stop hitting the snooze button on the alarm Rise up and be the change that America needs. The church must go back to the basics and make disciples that live out the teachings of Christ. Accordingly, the only hope for America and the nations are discipleship-based churches. For Jesus said, I will build my church, church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so why is this a primary focus of our a podcast because it is a focus of Jesus Christ in building his church. When the church does not have disciples, the church suffers and the culture goes to hell in a handbasket. What is the solution to a culture going to hell in a handbasket? Disciples making disciples, living out the teachings of Christ and teaching others to obey those teachings. And in our church, we take it very serious. We're going to talk more about it as the show goes on. But that's why this is a podcast, a relevant Pentecostal voice that's focusing on discipleship. That's what we believe. Jared, what do you believe about that? I believe that while there are a good majority of Americans that uh, profess to be Christians. And Pastor Joe, you have uh, well documented in the past George Barna's numbers on evangelicals, uh, professing born-again Christians in our nation, and, and actually the, the fact that the by and large they do not have a biblical worldview, they do not have biblical beliefs, and they, they do not practice those beliefs. So let's say you have 70% of Americans that uh, claim to be Christian. Um, if that was indeed the case, if everyone's profession meant they were true, born-again, spirit-filled disciples of Christ, would abortion be legal? Would it be tolerated? I don't think so. Would shows like Desperate Housewives be top-rated? Uh, I highly doubt it. Would there be a booming pornography industry? I highly doubt it. We need to make a distinction here between uh, a believer in name only, and that's why you hear so often people are distancing themselves from the word Christian. Christian's not a bad thing, by the way. It, it means that you're an imitator of Christ. But I guess you couldn't call yourself that if you weren't imitating Christ. So people want to distance themselves from that. Oh, I'm not a Christian. I'm not one of those people. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple. Well, let's make that distinction then. Let's say Christian refers to someone who is a believer, basically by in name only, out of the confession of their mouth, a disciple of Jesus is somebody who, according to Matthew 28, 19, has been taught to obey everything that Jesus commanded. They apply the teaching of Jesus in every part of their lives. Now imagine if 70% of Americans were disciples of Jesus Christ. Imagine how different our country would be. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. I know it's Jesus' heart to reach the Gentile nations and not the Jews only, but I do believe that he wants his influence, the influence of his kingdom to come to the nations. A, a nation that is populated by disciples of Jesus Christ is a blessed nation. It's a free nation. It's a prosperous nation. It's a nation where we may live peaceful lives in all godliness and holiness. It's a nation that is founded upon God's laws and God's wisdom. It's a nation that doesn't have to worry so much about the corruption because disciples of Jesus will probably vote in disciples of Jesus to lead us, and disciples of Jesus will keep the commands, do not steal, do not lie, etc. Uh, and so there are so many people saying, you know, this is what's wrong with America. This is what's wrong with America. Even revival preachers do. But we truly believe that discipleship is at, is at the heart of the issue uh, for our country today. Amen. We'll talk more about that later. Keep going. All right. Yeah. In the Okay. We have um, this week at MPI, 
uh, at Metro Praise International Church in Chicago. By the way, anything that we're talking about, you can find at mpichurch.org. We have, in uh, the month of July, we started a new quarter of life groups. So that's how we do it in quarters. And, and then every quarter we'll consider uh, if a life group will continue or if we can start a new one. We do that quarterly. So we started in June. And uh, we now have 13 life groups. And there's a few new ones I want to talk about. Uh, we have a family life group. So this we've got a lot of young families in the church, myself included, a lot of people with uh, small children. And so there's going to be an opportunity for them to fellowship and have a place where they can all be with the kids. We also have a Spanish life group for Spanish speaking for the gente. And we have the 301 class. So just to back up a bit, uh, our discipleship, and, and this is big in the church. This is what we're just talking about. We love discipleship. This is how we do it. We have 101 discipleship, which is one-on-one. So think 101 is basics like college 101 classes. And then the 201 is more advanced, and it's basically Christian leadership. Those who go through that class and and meet the accountability requirements and the ministry requirements that are involved can be ordained as deacons in our church. Very recently, we have taken on the 301 class. This is like this is like the unicorn of our church. It's something we've always talked about. It's been very elusive, and now it's here. We have eight of our leaders, eight elders and deacons that are enrolled in this class right now. It's college-level stuff on presuppositional apologetics. By the way, you can download it the same way you download these podcasts. You can find it on uh, on our Facebook page, you can find it through iTunes, all the avenues through which you find this podcast, you can find these classes, and you will get a college-level course on apologetics for F-R-E-E free. And so that's been a long way in the works, and so is the Spanish ministry. I want to back up here. We are in the belmont Cragen neighborhood. This is very, uh, a lot of Spanish-speaking folks. Uh, you walk out of here, and chances are you're going to meet somebody that doesn't speak English. When we do evangelism, walking down the streets of this neighborhood, I have to have a Spanish speaker with me. Otherwise, I'm very limited. I'm like, hola, como estas? Uh, uh, te amo, Jesus. Like, I, I don't have, I, I'm limited in what I can do because there's so many Spanish speakers, and we want to reach them. We want to reach the folks around us. And we have tried, we've had like three or four different attempts yeah. at this. And we had such a hard time breaking through what I think was a was a religious mindset. Either it was Roman Catholicism or it was those Spanish uh, fundamentalist churches where they have the five hour services. They can be very legalistic, very spiritual and inward. And And they look at a church like us. We we wear shorts. We preach the gospel and, and they just. They just, there's, there's a complete disconnect there. And so this brings me kind of to um, a a kind of a a new point in the discussion. This new ministry has arisen very organically. That's the key word. In times past, we tried to start it. We saw a need, but it was, it was us maybe doing it in our own strength. You could say, you know, and it, and it didn't end up working. What we have right now is a young lady in our church who had a heart to reach her own family members, start a Bible study in our, her house. So that's where it started, just out of the heart of this young lady. It's been well attended for months now, and that's really what brought us to where, uh, to this point. When this life group was announced back in late May, Pastor Joe has said something to the effect of, I lost the quote. Uh, forgive me, but he said something to the effect of that when you pioneer a ministry organically, the spirit makes it like flying a kite. He makes the labor effortless and and fun and wow. joyful. And I think that's how ministry should be. Now you have been a church planner. <laughs> Come here. <laughs> this is our group <laughs> shot. We've worked on it. For those of you yes. who have been uh, watching the live feed, we have tried to figure out how we can do group shots together. Here we are. Uh, this is the way we can do it. So at this point, I'm supposed to come in because he's going to 
say that quote and then ask me a question or two. Yeah, well, you're <laughs> you're a church planter. Yes. You've started things brand new, basically your whole life in ministry, from working yeah. in New Orleans yeah. to starting a church out of your own living room in Chicago. So yeah. why don't you just share about when the spirit is moving in ministry, when God is birthing a new thing, and uh, give us some some insight to pastors and church leaders on that on that note. Yeah, the the thing that God had shared with me, and I want all seasoned ministers to listen to me here. How many times do we get discouraged when things don't work? I mean, I've probably closed more things than I've ever uh, seen successful. You know, I've started things I've had to close and stop and all of that. Uh, it's just recently now, after being here about 12 years, that we're starting to see the wind get in the sails. You know, you try to fly a kite without wind. It's really hard. You try to go sailing without wind. I hear it's hard. I get seasick, so I wouldn't know, you know exactly on that. But the idea is uh, we had to be faithful in making disciples and kind of chill out on trying to start everything to make the church move faster and just go, we're content with making disciples. Uh, it's not the coolest thing to put on Facebook right now. Not a lot to show on, uh, you know, social media. I'm not making charismas, uh, top 50 churches of the year, but we're just going to be faithful, preach, pray, plug away, win souls, make disciples, repeat, you know. And just recently now, as we've started to see a lot of the SUM students graduate from Bible college, uh, have just right around 50 elders and deacons now, church of right around uh, averaging 250, we started to see that the momentum was catching on from what we would see as different generations. So Jared was a young man that I had won to the, uh, our, you know, had been a part of winning him to the Lord, the youth night that he had came, I was doing the youth work and all of that. And then, you know, he goes to Bible college, he becomes a pastor. Now he starts raising up disciples. So it goes from me to Jared to this now third generation. And it's that third generation where it's really starting to move quicker now where we can start more life groups, do more things. Uh, the 301 class, I have enough of them now that I can start really training them. And that's where, as pastors, we really feel fulfilled. I know we're not supposed to attach our feelings to the ministry, but honestly, it's a part of it. And Jesus allowed his feelings to be touched by ministry. And so it feels good to know, like uh, after I did that 301 class with my uh uh, the students yesterday, the elders and deacons, I went to my wife and I was like, this is a dream come true. I'm not forcing people to come to a Sunday school. This is not just discipleship accountability. Are you living for God? Like I can actually sit back, have the kind of Bible study on the level of learning that I've been wanting to do for years. Mm. And they're hungry for it. We stayed a half hour after class there and just kept talking and talking about what did Augustine say? What did Anselm say? What, what, what does this mean? What, you know, and it just fed my soul. So uh, the quote Jared has here, and then I'll hand it back over to him. But yeah, it's just being faithful in the little and God giving much. Amen. I found the quote. It is when the spirit is moving in ministry, he makes the labor feel joyful and effortless like flying a kite in the wind. Now, I, I should say that there is labor. There's There can be long days, oh, blood, yeah. sweat, tears, all of that. But this goes to something else you've said, and you've always modeled this, and you've always pointed me to other ministers, such as Pastor Troy, who have modeled this, that they're not burnt out by ministry. Yeah. They're not overloaded to excess trying to perform, trying to you know keep the plates spinning, so to speak, of ministry, because they're following the Lord, they're being faithful, they're doing the basics and not trying to bite off more than they can chew in order to meet maybe some unrealistic expectations of the church world. So I thank you so much for that wisdom there. Um, and as you're getting your next thing, right, yes. a good question for that would be pastors and leaders and those even in, in the ministry that are serving as laymen, are you willing to wait for God to put the wind in the sail yes. and be faithful in the little. Now, this doesn't mean wait and do nothing. When the Bible says wait on the Lord, it literally means serve the Lord, like wait as a waiter on the Lord. Mm -hmm. So are you willing to do those small things, those things that seem menial, but be faithful in them till the Lord comes and brings the increase? That's the question, because if we're willing to make disciples as Jesus made disciples, it will multiply and it will be a generational blessing. It will pass on down. We just got to be faithful to do that. All right. Now we're ready for in the news. This just broke today, though, according oh. to the Babylon, uh, the Babylon B, only three people are surprised by 
this development uh, because of the trajectory that this guy has been on. We're talking about Eugene Peterson. He's a Presbyterian pastor and author, and he is the translator of the message version of the Bible. And he has made plain that he has changed his position on uh, same-sex relationships, and that is... I'm, I'm just going to read to you his his response to a question by religious religion news service. Let me slow down. Yeah. Religion news service. He and he is asked here, "What is your position on the morality of same-sex relationships?" And this is what he has to say: "I haven't had a lot of experience with it, but I have been in churches when I was an associate pastor where there were several women who were lesbians." They didn't make a big deal about it. I'd go and visit them, and it never came up for them. They just assumed that they were as Christian as everybody else in the church. Let me pause here. I'm tempted to get sassy. I really want to withhold that because I'm not the only person talking about this today, and there's going to be a lot of people, and I want to say something constructive and and, uh, unique to the situation here. But it never came up for them. Why didn't it come up for him? Why didn't he bring that up as their as their pastor, as their shepherd? That's a good question to, to be asking. And he goes on. He says, in my own congregation, when I left, we had about 500 people. I don't think we ever made a big deal about it. When I left, the minister of music left. She'd been there since I was there. There we were looking for a new minister of music. One of the young people that had grown up under my pastorship, he was a high school teacher and a musician. When he found out about the opening, he showed up in church one day and stood up and said, I'd like to apply for the job of music director, and I'm gay. We didn't have any gay people in the whole. And I'm in sin. (laughs) We got going on here, you know, ain't nothing wrong. And I'm in sin. We we didn't have any gay people in the congregation. Well, some of them weren't openly gay, but I was so pleased with the congregation. Nobody made any questions about it. And he was a really good musician. I wouldn't have said this 20 years ago. I wonder why. Is it because the LGBT movement wasn't as powerful 20 years ago and influential 20 years ago? It's be- is it because several of your peers have not yet folded, giving you courage to come out and fold on this position 20 years ago? I mean, he's not the first. So, yeah, three people were surprised by this. I, I wasn't. I saw him with Bono, hanging out with Bono. Uh, I'm not saying you choose the devil, but, you know, I, I, I've seen Bono kissing a dude, you know, I'm like, okay, there's Eugene Peterson and Bono. There they go. They're buds, you know? And so I'm not surprised by this. Tony Campolo, he, he folded last year. We had uh, the, the guy who, who denied hell, Rob Bell, Bell. you have all these emergent folks, Brian McLaren, they all folded one by one and he, he won't be the last. He won't be the last. So we're, we're not surprised here because uh, pastors are going to show their true colors. That's right. So he didn't say this 20 years ago, but now I know a lot of people who are gay and les- lesbian, and they seem to have as good a spiritual life as I do. I think that kind of debate about lesbians and gays might be over. People who disapprove of it, they'll probably just go to another church. So we're in a transition, and I think it's a transition for the best. For the good, I don't think it's something you can parade, but it's not a right or wrong thing as far as I'm concerned. Well, he doesn't give any scriptural basis for his position whatsoever. That's the first thing. So it's it's basically his own feelings on the subject. We have to acknowledge that he is not giving a scriptural argument. But let's just take the scriptures as they are. We have the uh, six so-called clobber texts of the Bible. You have Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 18. You have Leviticus 18. You have, um, uh, I believe it's also in 22, Leviticus 22. You have Romans, 1 Corinthians, 
first Timothy that all bring up homosexual practice in a negative light. You have Jesus's positive example from Matthew chapter 19 verses four through six. Let me slow down to say that Matthew 19 verses four through six, Jesus says that in the beginning, the creator made them male and female and a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Jesus affirmed the created order of, of a man and a woman. But ha having that as our foundation, we do believe scripture. I am making a scriptural argument, and I'd like to see Peterson or somebody else uh, tell me, uh, give me a different interpretation of those texts. But let's just take this. He is affirming a sinful behavior. That's what he's doing. So here's some, I think, some constructive questions we ask. Number one, does affirming homosexuality and transgenderism automatically put one in the realm of a false teacher? Because by making this declaration and saying it's not a big deal, and if you're good at music and you want to be in the church, you could do it. Well, he's, he's really obviously putting himself on the outs of the evangelical community. There's going to be a lot of people who were endorsing him before and supporting him before who will now cut ties with him because of what he did. That may put him on outside of the evangelical community, but does that put him outside of God? Yes. Uh, and that's the question we want to ask, yes. because it's not, well, it's not the Trinity. It's not these things. Well, here's, here's my, my take on it. Jude chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, uh, speaks about false teachers. And let me just read verse 4. It says, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So we have several warnings of false prophets, false teachers, false messiahs, and it's about teaching people who deny Jesus came in the flesh, people who deny the Trinity, people who deny scripture and things of that nature. But there are another mark, rather, of false teachers is that they affirm immorality. That's it. And so he is doing this, and he is putting in, in basically the shoe of Jude chapter 1, verse 4, now fits the foot of Eugene Peterson because he does not see it as a big problem. In his own word, he does not see it as a right or wrong thing. couple follow-up questions. Um, because it goes on from there, and he was asked if he would officiate a gay wedding, and he had a one-word answer, yes. Let me just say I appreciate him not being a politician and giving some sideways answer. He basically said, yes, I would officiate a gay wedding given the opportunity. The follow-up question now is a Christian who believes scripturally this is sin, would you attend and or officiate a gay wedding? And would you accept a gay person as a member or ordain them as a leader in your church? Would you want to answer those questions as a pastor? How would you, as a pastor, deal with that? Or how would you counsel someone? Like, let's say someone's uh, gay cousin uh, was in, uh, had a wedding and, and they were invited. Yes, I would say don't go. Just like you wouldn't go to a satanic meeting. Just like you wouldn't go to a mosque to worship with them. It would be sin to partner with them. Psalm chapter one says, do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. So we are to avoid standing, sitting and walking with the ungodly. And that is a, a, a stand that we need to take in love to explain to them our position. But this is a mirage. It's not a marriage. It's against God. They want more than just acceptance. They want celebration. And when we don't celebrate with them, they get angry and show us their true colors. And so in love, we need to pray for them to come to Jesus, but still view it through the lens of the scripture and that it is sin. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. And then would we accept a gay person as a member or ordain them as a leader in the church? Uh, I've, I've had a lot of debates over this question because people don't want to hear the nuance of it. There are people who are same-sex attracted who reject those feelings and seek to honor God with their bodies. Yeah, crucified they crucified their flesh and the desires of same-sex attraction. And there are people who are same-sex attracted or feel 
transgender uh, feelings and they embrace it and they love it and they justify it. And so you, you, you have, for one, you have two different types of people there. You are willing to deal with someone who is repentant and for someone who wants to honor God while dealing with that. Would you ordain somebody or have them as a member if they're living that lifestyle? No, no, no. Could they attend on a Sunday to hear the gospel? Yes, but we will continue to preach the gospel to them. But 1 Corinthians 5 is quite plain that if anyone claims to be a brother or sister while living in a openly flagrant, non-repentant, sinful lifestyle, that we shouldn't even eat with them. And that's that's sometimes a hard pill to swallow. It doesn't sound very loving, but it's the word of the Lord. So that's the that's the news there. Amen. Thank you for sharing that, Jared. And I think that's why uh, this show really helps us grow in our knowledge of what God is doing around the world and uh, making up disciples that resist these things. We can be encouraged by the churches that stand against this. We want to be a show that does this. And then uh, for you to be able to have the courage to stand against it when it comes to you. So you're not the only one, dear brother or sister, that feels pressured uh, to give into these things. Just stand your ground. The Bible says those who stand firm to the end will be saved. He also said uh, those who are not ashamed of me in this sinful, adulterous generation, I will not be ashamed of them. But if you are ashamed of me, he said, in my words in this sinful, adulterous generation, I'll be ashamed of you when I come back with my angels to judge the world. So this show is to kind of give you the news, what's going on around the world, and to show you that there there should be Christians standing up uh, and, and doing the right thing. And I can now speak as a local pastor as I get ready to give you a word from the word disciples need to be making disciples as we started the show today about us the show here is based in our ministry that is about discipleship soul winning and discipleship go hand in hand they're the two legs of the gospel we should be winning souls and making disciples and if we do it right these kinds of situations will not intimidate us because we'll keep going forward with the the disciples that god gave us and the church will move forward this man eugene peterson left his walk of discipleship with the lord and gave into false doctrine, false beliefs. Well, it can happen to anybody. You have uh, someone who leaves the Lord and starts thinking on their own thoughts, uh, not tearing down every thought, as the Bible says, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Before you know it, they'll believe that homosexuality is not a sin. Before you know it, they'll believe it's okay to divorce their wife. Before you know it, they'll approve of their children living in sin, so forth and so on. At any time, if we leave the path of God, the narrow path, and go down the wide path, we're going to agree with the world that is there already living in sin. Jesus said through the apostle John in his first epistle, do not love the world nor the things in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father. That's of the world and those who have the world cannot have the love of the father but those who reject the the world and have the love of the father endure forever so keep that as your as your witness and your testimony everywhere you go that you're going to live for god and you're not going to be detoured well when we go to the scriptures we see that jesus anticipated these things and so he made disciples that would stand true to his word that's why the church is still growing today across the world in matthew 28 18 through 20 he said all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. So we are to teach everything that Jesus taught the disciples. Disciples make disciples. Are you a disciple? Have you been taught the things of God? Well, you're supposed to go out and teach others the things of God. In discipleship relationships, we're being poured into and growing and being accountable, and we're entering into discipleship relationships with the people that we've won to the Lord. So upward, receiving us from God, uh, stretching out in our hands uh, horizontally to the people around us. Think of the upward call of you being discipled and the leaders in your life and the horizontal call of the cross. They're making that shape that you're going out and touching the world. Also, the Bible says in uh, John 6, 66, this is funny because it's 666. If you want to remember it this way, it says from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. When will disciples stop following Jesus? When they don't want to do what Jesus commands them to do. 
here in this passage, Jesus was telling them not to just come after him for the food that he was giving them, but to literally partake of his flesh to drink of the Holy Spirit. His words are our food, and the Holy Spirit is our drink. We represent this in communion, and we do it by faith as a symbol, not in transubstantiation, a false teaching of the Catholic Church, where we're literally cannibals eating every time in communion, the body and drinking the blood. But this was metaphorical. This is spiritual, that we are to take in his words and take in his spirit. The disciples at that time, many of them, because there was more than just 12 that Jesus had following him, said many turned back because they didn't want to do that. What that says is that they wanted to have a superficial following, a superficial commitment to Jesus, but they didn't want it to go down deep and to nourish their soul and to continue feed off the bread of heaven and drink from the Spirit. Whenever we turn away from God, we're turning towards something else. And whenever we turn away from our sin, we're turning towards God. You can't face in two directions. Do you want to be a disciple that stays facing Jesus, repenting and and turning away from the world and sin? Or do you want to turn away from God, put your back towards him, and open up yourself to the world? I want to be like the disciples of Jesus. Even though they made mistakes, they stuck with Jesus. Jesus said to those people, whoever wanted to be his disciples in Matthew 16, 24 and onward, that you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So the the Christian life really is a life of discipleship, and that is a life of self-denial, a crucified life, and following Jesus. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And then we get the illustration that Jesus says, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If you work just for your job and for money, you work your job just for the money and for your family, you will lose it in eternity. But if you trade your job and your family and your money for the kingdom of God, what you then will have is the reward of giving that over to the Lord and doing it his way. So are you a father that makes your children the idol of your life? Or are you a father that serves Jesus in your family and makes Jesus the God of your family? If you do, your chances of bringing your family with you to heaven are great. Otherwise, as a father, you'll see them perish and go to hell unless they repent, and you'll go to hell with them. Because being a good father is not the condition of salvation. But if you're truly saved by faith and you make Jesus the Lord of your life, the center the center gear with all the spokes of the wheel being around it, God will spin your life around, move your life with everything revolving around his kingdom. And you will save those things. You will have rewards in heaven for working as unto the Lord, raising your family as unto God. And then here what we have to understand is that the crucified life, as Paul said, is what we put our passions and desires on of the flesh. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but those who are of the Spirit please Him, and those who are of the Spirit have crucified the flesh along with its passions and desires. Remember that, that you may still have the flesh with you, but the Spirit is greater than the flesh. The flesh is weak, but the Spirit is willing. You can be a disciple that makes disciples. And then Jesus told his disciples in Luke 14, 25, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother, father, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is clear here that you have to be willing to choose what is going to be the first and primary relationship in your life. Is it going to be your family, your children, your wife, your kids, or is it going to be Christ? Think of it this way as in hate. I would hate the fact of trying to carry my wife on a rope that can't sustain both of our weight. So if I'm on a rope dangling over a cliff and it can only handle 225 pounds, which I weigh, I would hate my wife trying to get on there because it would break. But guess what? What if there was a rope meant for her that she could be saved by? See, I teach my wife what I have done as being saved, and I teach her to be saved. Now, you know, she was saved when I got married, but you get my illustration there. I can't take on my children and be their Savior. There's only one Savior. That's Jesus Christ. But I can teach them to take on Christ and find him to be a perfect Savior. And so when we look at our church, just as an example, because I want to make this practical, When we look at our church, there are statistics that are in Metro Praise International, all glory to God, by the way, that many churches don't have because they're not willing to do this. They want to go an inch deep and a mile wide instead of going deep and nourishing the people. They want a spiritual nursery instead of a spiritual army. 
And so our church, as I said before at the beginning, averages around 250 people. How is that broken down? 175 youth and adults in two services with 75 children. 30% of our church is children, 70% youth and adults. Out of those youth and adults who can attend our 101 discipleship and 201 discipleship, we have 175 uh, 154 disciples out of the 175 uh, possible uh, people to come and join us. That is 88% of our church is in either the 101, the 201, or is a graduated elder and deacon and is now doing it with the others. And so today I want to encourage you to follow Jesus, to be a part of a church that makes disciples, to be honest with where you're at in your spiritual walk. Seek out God today if you need to repent of any sin in your life. Don't follow the trends of this world. Be a real revolutionary. Uh, being a revolutionary is not wearing tight pants with tattoos, leading worship on Sunday. Everybody's doing that. Nothing wrong with, per se with tight pants and tattoos, but the idea is be a real revolutionary and be holy in the yes. ministry. Be holy in your family. Be radical and make disciples that make disciples. It's not radical to go to more conferences. It's not radical to buy more books. It's radical in the 21st century to be a disciple that makes disciple. Go win you a lost soul in Jesus' name. By his grace, let it flow through you to win a lost soul and make a disciple, multiply upon this earth, change the generation from the inside out. Brother, what do you think about that? I think this is exactly what we're commanded to do, you know, something that Jesus said there and what you illustrated by the tightrope thing is that if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for Jesus and for the gospel, you'll find it. And I think the call to discipleship to people seems like it's just asking too much. It's enough that people go to church on Monday. It's enough that people go to church on Wednesday. It's enough that people sometimes drop their kids off um, to a youth event. It's enough that people occasionally go to some food drive or something. But when you ask them to participate in discipleship, and, and discipleship can have, I think, active and passive parts to it. Uh, passively, it's being taught. It's being corrected. It's being rebuked and encouraged and held accountable to the life of a disciple and to the teachings of Jesus. So that is passive. They are receiving from a mentor. Actively speaking, the life of a disciple is doing ministry. Jesus sent his disciples out. He didn't wait three years. It says in Matthew 10, kind of at, a, at an in-between point, he sent them out to preach, to cast out demons, and do all of that stuff. So if you're going to say to someone, hey, hey, you know, let's say you got someone at your church on a Sunday morning, hey, how you doing? Hey, let, let's meet together. Let me get in your life. Let's study the Bible together. Let's pray together. And, and while we're at it, let's go around your, our, our neighborhood and preach together. We're meeting up this Saturday. And you are asking somebody simply too much to add to their already busy life. But the problem is they're trying to keep their life and they're going to lose it. They're saying to themselves, no, my Saturday night is for these activities you can't ask me to volunteer on Wednesday because my favorite show's on and it's hump night and I need my rest. And people will try to keep their life. They're going to hold on tight-fistedly to their agenda, to their plans, to their activities, and they're going to lose it all in the end. Like John Piper, who gave the very famous illustration of sandcastles, of the elderly couple that retired, saved all their money for a house by the beach, and built sandcastles and collected seashells. And what a what a relevant illustration of what we would show to God. Here's my seashells. Here's my sandcastle. And a sandcastle, as we know, is something that you build with great effort at times, but can be knocked down within an instant by the wind itself. And that's what our life is like without Jesus Christ. That is what our life is like when we are not investing in his kingdom. I have a retirement plan that is for eternity. Many people are living for a retirement plan to get them by for 15 to 20 years and then just basically get old and, and it gets fuzzy from there. And so we're living for heavenly rewards, amen, as disciples, making a difference. Amen. Let me just say this, as Jared gets ready to do Jared's Gems, if you guys have any questions, remember the last segment yes. will be Q&A. 
So put them up on the post if you guys have any questions. Thanks for joining with us today. All right. Now for Jared's gems. I have unearthed some precious jewels, some rubies and sapphires and emeralds. Oh, for you. (laughs) Well, last week I told you I was dealing with uh, my Teen Challenge students. I disciple these guys on a weekly basis, and I was teaching them how to read the Bible. And, and today's lesson is kind of has a similar basis. I'm, I'm passing on to you what I told them, and this is how to seek the Lord. So while you may say, well, I'm not a new Christian and I'm not struggling, I think what I'm going to say will help Christians who've been at, at all levels of their spirituality. Today's topic is how to seek the Lord. Seeking God is this, as I have defined it. It is, to, it is to seek to experience God's presence in a powerful way and or to hear his voice pertaining to a certain matter. So there will be people who are told, seek the Lord, seek the Lord, seek the Lord. And what does that mean? How do I get there? Well, it's actually very simple and very complicated, this seeking the Lord deal. It's as simple and as complicated as pray, worship, and read the Bible. Pray, worship, and read the Bible. That's all. Pray, you know, talk to God, read your Bible, where God will talk to you, worship God, and enter into his presence. It's as simple as that, but also as complicated because some people don't know how to pray. Some people feel distant from God. Some people can't worship and enter into his presence. Some people can't understand the Bible. And let me first and foremost diagnose some reasons why this might be and hopefully sets you free from some false teachings. Some folks believe that God ordains them to go through seasons of spiritual dryness and deadness. The old timers called this the dark night of the soul. And these these were the mystics of the medieval period that often spoke of these times. Well, they were saved, but they felt so distant from God, so lost, so dark, so depressed, And it was totally not in keeping with the life of joy and the life of promise that the Bible talks about. And let me just say that that is a devil's lie. There's a worship song that says, you do not give your heart in pieces. You don't hide yourself to tease us. And we don't get theology from worship songs, but I think there's some good theology behind that song is that under the new covenant, God is there. He says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. There are people who are spiritually up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, and they don't have to be. I think the reason the mystics experienced this is maybe because they were expecting a certain experience from God, being that they were mystics. They were expecting to go into a trance or see a vision or be enraptured with these holy emotions. But we know that doesn't happen all of the time, but that doesn't mean that God is not near. And like today, there are some Christians, they only feel Jesus at church, or they only feel Jesus at a conference, and they are depending on an experience uh, to determine the strength of their relationship with God. And when those experiences are lacking, they don't have a great relationship with God. There tends to be three reasons why people feel distant from God at a given time. The first is sin. And it is true that sin keeps us from God, but repentance brings us back to God. The Bible says in Acts 3, 19, repent and times of refreshment will come. When you repent, the Lord will receive you. The Lord will refresh you. The Lord will restore you. Do not let sin make you feel far from God. You can repent and return to him. Then there's busyness. And that's just time management and priorities that are out of whack. And that's something that... I don't have time to go into detail on, but you do need to deal with it at that level. Is God that important to you? I find that when we get busy in life, the first thing to go is prayer. And we say we're too busy to pray, but the truth is we're too busy not to pray. And then the last reason that someone might feel distant from God is a false teaching or a false expectation of what it means to experience God. They feel I can only experience him when the band's playing. 
they they get these emotional moments at the altar they cry at the altar but then throughout their week they're up and down they're up and down they doubt god they doubt his presence they doubt his promises because there is a false expectation of that now pastor joe and i both can attest is does god knock us down and make us cry every day do we do holy ghost snow angels and just laugh in the glory and and have the holy laughter do we have gold dust fall from the ceilings in our homes every day of the week when we do our prayer walks or pastor joe does his bike rides does god just call out into a tangible voice and sing to us boisterously as zephaniah 317 says we sometimes have experiences like that and they're glorious but do we always Our relationship with God is not based on those experiences. If it were, we'd be up and down, up and down. Oh, God, I love you. We're so close. Oh, God, where are you? I don't even know if you're real. We should always be here. If you see me and if you're listening audio, I'm just I'm drawing a straight line with my arm here. As opposed to going up and down, we should be even keeled because I think God is even keeled. So, So the question is, you may not feel the tingles today, but do you have assurance of your salvation? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Do you know that you have fellowship with God? Do you know that you have peace with God? There are straightforward propositions in Scripture. I would advise you uh, to study 1 John to this end that basically give you tests. How do you know you're in Jesus? How do you know that you know him? And here's how you can know him. And the Bible tells you. And so every day I walk in the confidence of a child of God. I walk in confidence of his love. I walk in confidence that I am forgiven and loved by him at all times. So seeking God to me and and seeking an experience and seeking his voice to me, that's not been a priority much. But I, I know that it can be. I know that there are times when, man, there's so much more God has for me. So let me give you a few points in closing, because I know we're getting on here. In order to seek God, number one, we must know God. Got to have a relationship with him. John 17, 3, Jesus said that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. In the biblical language, to know is to know intimately. For example, Adam knew his wife and they conceived a child. So you must know God. You must have that relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Secondly, you must need God. Now, we all need God. If God turned the air off, we'd be toast. So you need God, whether you realize it or not, but it's that realization. And I like Genesis 32, verses 22 through 31. Write it down if you're taking notes. This is the story of when Jacob wrestled with God. And something he said as he wrestled God in the night is, I won't let you go until you bless me. He was desperate. He knew in that situation that he needed God's intervention. He needed God's blessing, and he would not let go. Do you have that sense, God, I need you. God, I'm nothing without you. That desperation will drive you on. Third, you must want God. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you want God? Do you get to the point where you like hanging out with God? Like, man, this is fun. This is the best part of my day is when I get to be with my God. Have you read the Psalms? David often speaks of when do I get to be with my God? When do I get to go to the temple? When can I get through all of this other stuff so that I can worship him? So we progress from the need and and, and we all have that need. It's not bad to seek God for our needs. But to move beyond that and say, I want him. He's amazing. He's lovely. He's admirable. I, I, I want to be with him. And then to love God. First John chapter 5, verse 3 says that to keep God's commandments are not burdensome. Let me make sure I don't butcher that quotation there. First John 5, uh, 3 says, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commandments and his commands aren't burdensome. You would go to the moon and back for the one you love. And when you experience God's love, you can love him back with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so seeking the Lord becomes a part of the normal Christian life because you always need, always want, 
and always love God. What you want to say to that? That's beautiful, bro. That was definitely a Jared gem right there. We'll keep that kind of right there for you. you. Guys, we have our last two minutes here of the show. Uh, To recap what we did today, we started off with About Us, explained why discipleship is so important, read from uh, the book that I wrote, Discipleship-Based Churches. You can get it for free or you can get it online at Kindle or at our website. We'll send you a copy of it, mpichurch.org. We went over the updates, really just sharing with you what's going on in the church, how now we're offering a 301 class on presuppositional apologetics. It will be live every Tuesday from 8 to 9.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Please join us on the What Do You Believe page for that or find it uh, posted up on the page or anywhere you got us on iTunes. We then talked about in the news with Eugene Peterson, the translator for the message. The guy just went off the uh, the rails, and sadly, he is now, according to Judah, false teacher because he's mm. a promoter of immorality. Then I gave you a word from the word that disciples make disciples, and it's important to understand we have to be a disciple that makes disciples. Yes. And I, I always like to look at the cross illustration in my relationship with me and God and those who are over me, pouring into me with horizontally, me going out and touching and changing the world. And then lastly here with uh, Jared's gem, just such a good gem there to find that private time with the Lord to develop a great devotional life and then keep that devotional life, that secret place in your heart everywhere you go throughout your life. And so you don't have to be on the ups and downs of experiences or visions or so forth. Look for Jesus in everyday life, everyday life in the confirmation of your salvation. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing great things to come. Look for that confirmation and then seek the Lord and he will be found in your everyday life. And yes, there may be some awesome experiences and there may be some real tough times you go through, funerals, loss of family, sickness, but your spirit can remain in that place of uh, even peace. As we said, even, not going up and down, it can be at peace. That's what peace is. It's not going with a wave. A wave is up and down. Peace is space. So we've given you guys a chance to ask questions. I still don't see any. I hope that you know you can ask them. Yes. uh, Just keep following us online and checking us out, spreading the word, because this is what we believe. We want to know, what do you believe? Woo! 